Hello, amazing Ramdas friends. Welcome to another episode of Here and Now. I'm your host, Jackie Dabrinska, and you, you are the inspired beings from around the globe on this path of awakening together. So today we dive into episode 237, and this is the last part of the lecture we've been listening to for the past several episodes. It's from the shine, the, the it, it's from the Shrine Auditorium in Los Angeles in February of 1967. And by the end, the crowd is getting a little rowdy and Ramdas brings in some firmness so that he can get to the topics he wants to cover, which is God, sex, and drugs. First, what great topics, right? And uh, second, I don't know exactly how to introduce this one. Um, I used to work at this interspiritual church. And one of the things I really loved about it, which drew me and so many other people to it, was that we were invited to bring everything to the altar. Sex, drugs, bad jokes, joy, pain, all of it was considered part of the holy. In fact, the idea was that life only goes wrong when we stop bringing everything to the altar, which in my mind made it a very tantric church. Tantra in the sense of weaving the holy into the, into the mundane, recognizing that the two are not really separate. And, you know, Tantra in the idea of working with energies, um, that these energies are just all the ways that we get to God. And I don't know if you know, but the etymology of Tantra simply means to weave or to expand. And it's this huge body of knowledge on everything from how to raise kundalini to saving money. And it's thousands of years old. Um, and it's the path of the householder. And unfortunately, somehow it got reduced in many of our minds to this method for having good sex or better orgasms. And to me, that's really a disservice to this incredible wisdom and body of knowledge, which is part of what he talks about here, this path of Tantra. Um, and, and as I was thinking about this talk and what to say, what really came up were these two ideas from, from Tantra, the ideas of tapas and spanda. And tapas is sort of this idea of creating a strong container around something. And often it's a container around um, a habit. And so like stopping us from going down our regular path. And so it's a bit of going against the grain, which can create some heat um, and even friction. But in doing so, like it frees up this energy that was sort of captured before. And this but the like fundamental vibratory nature of this energy is called spanda. And so we have like greater energy um, by doing so. And this idea of how often we just sort of want to end past this process. We don't really want to let go of things. We don't really want to surrender. And so if I decide that, you know, I need to, it's ripe and it's time for me to give up chocolate. And then one day I'm like, you know, chocolate's really just medicine and I can have a little today. You know. Well, yes, you know, that might be true. In Ayurveda, they say anything can be medicine or poison depending on who you are and how you take it. Like in me trying to create that container, that chocolate isn't medicine for me that day. Um, but we just want what we want when we want it. And 
So we sort of cheat our own awakening at times with these relative truths that just serve us in the moment. Um, It's the short-term pleasure versus the long-term pleasure. And I feel like that's what he's sort of pointing at in some of what he's talking about in this lecture. But that's what came up for me in this lecture. And I would imagine you might hear something very different, which is why we offer a space for all of us to come together and share our wisdom and insights and curiosities. We meet several times a month through the Ramdas fellowship gatherings. There's many different ones. And it was really Ram Das's hope was that we would continue to meet in community. And so that's what we do. And we hope that you will join us and bring your wisdom. For more information and to sign up, just go to ramdas.org slash fellowship. And speaking of the fellowship, one of the things it does is also host monthly live streams with way showers and wisdom keepers of our time, really discussing topics that were near and dear to Ram Dass's heart in a way that's relevant to what's going on in the world today. And this month, we're so excited to sit down with one of Ram Dass's dearest friends, Frank Ostaseski. Um, and from what I hear from the staff, he's one of their all-time favorite people. Frank has accompanied over thousands of people through the dying process and trained thousand more uh, in healthcare and family caregivers around the world. He is groundbreaking in his work with death and dying, and he's been featured on the Oprah Winfrey show and PBS and even honored by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama. And he's the author of the book, The Five Invitations, Discovering What Death Can Teach Us About Living Fully. So it's going to be a great conversation and you'll be able to ask him questions during the live stream. So you can find out more by going to ramdas.org slash Frank um, and just tune in to any of our social media channels on November 6th at 8 p.m. and be part of that talk. And it's free. Speaking of, uh, as always, we thank our sponsors for without them, we could not bring you these podcasts and we also couldn't do it without you the listeners, and the donors. So if you don't already, please do consider donating because it's what makes these happen. As always, we hope that you are nourished by this episode and these teachings and whatever good may come from it, that it benefits all of us in our daily lives and ripple out into the world for the benefit of all beings. So here is Ramdas, here and now. Namaste and blessings. How does one hurt when someone else's trip? Um, if I, for example, um, used you as an example of something to teach someone else, and my using of you hurt you, in a way that it took you further from God, even though that person profited, I could not justify that action. Okay, can you hear that example? Can you hear it? If any act I perform limits your ability to get to God, I can't do it. If I, for example, said to you, I am a fully realized being and I am a guru and everything I say is truth, and then I speak this evening. 
There are things coming out of me that are not perfect because I am not a perfected being. I am not a realized being. I am not a guru. And because those things are coming out of me, if I presented myself as that, you might take what I said in a way which would hurt your spiritual journey. That would be an immoral act. It would be an act that would limit another person's chance of getting to God. Right? That would be karma on my head. Okay. Yes. I still didn't answer what is God. What is commitment? After that, I'm going to answer three questions. What is God about sex and about dope? Because you forgot to ask. <laughs> what is commitment? It has something to do at a highest level of entering into a conscious contract to entering into a conscious contract binding time or space and it is done in relation to the journey, the spiritual journey of going to God. That would be a conscious commitment. Right? Uh, your commitment to a spiritual teacher, I think, is as long as I feel that I am getting to God through you, you got me. That's the contract. The minute I don't think it's working anymore, the minute I don't think you can liberate me any further, bye-bye, baby. Right? I think a contract, a spiritual contract, should be renegotiable at that level of teachers and students. Now, the three questions. You already did this already. You got to relax. Not you. You're another one. <laughs> Equally as nervous as the last one. What is it? Is that a corner or something? Is there some kind of a bug loose there? I want to talk about God, sex, and dope, but I feel like you're too nervous. I better give it to you. Is that enough? Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can I just do God, sex, and dope? <laughs> I don't talk about other beings. The question was just asked in the back, what did I think about Satya Sai Baba? My answer about all beings is you listen in your heart. What I think is what I think. If you, if you open your heart and there's a teaching there, go get it. And if there isn't, don't. Okay. I've gotten tired of being the good housekeeping seal of approval. <laughs> it's a total drag. And it gets you nothing but curses on your head, I'll tell you. It's all just cosmic gossip anyway. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This game doesn't work if it gets into a space of a free-for-all. Yeah, I'm sorry, I don't play that way. I heard the question, though, and I will address myself to it. And then I'll talk about God, sex, and dope. <laughs>
I don't think you want to hear it. That's the truth. See, I think you're all stalling because you're afraid when the shit hits the fan, you'll be left there knowing more than you want to know. See. It is possible to look at our predicament from many, many different levels, as I've talked about it before. We could perceive the fact that when I started out this game with Tim in 62, of talking in Los Angeles about something or other about consciousness, we meet in a hall with 300 people. And here we are with, I don't know, four or 5,000 people. Here I am now, 10 years later, it's just been going up and up and up. What is this phenomenon? What is, what is it that, we, that is happening to us? And tomorrow I'll be in Phoenix, and next week Miami and Atlanta, and I can be in Nebraska, Lincoln, Nebraska, or Kansas City, Kansas, and here we all are again. And it's 2,000 here and 3,000 there and 1,000 there, and it's always the same people, and here we are. We're just... We're like lemmings. We're just coming up everywhere, right? What is this phenomenon? Is this um, some mass change in the consciousness of all humanity? Is it um, the ultimate in decadence <laughs> and social despair? Right? Uh, I didn't expect that, did you? Uh, uh, is, it, um, is it the shift of the high incarnations from the east to the west? Is it uh, a mass psychosis? Um, is it an uh, overdetermined reaction to... Uh, Changes in our concepts of space and time through technology? Hey, what level do you want to play at? Is it all an astral dance of the awakening of man and the reawakening of a higher society and so on? I have been asked many times about these questions, about what we are about on the, what are called the planes of existence other than the physical plane. And I'm very pragmatic about this because some people come and talk to me that the end of the world is about to happen and some say that it's the Aquarian age and it's all just beginning. I have concluded that my work is to go to God. In the course of that journey, I must be fully open to all forces that act upon me. If the world is going to end tomorrow, or if this is the dawning of a new age, my strategy of action is not different. I am still going to use this moment to go to God. Because that is the optimum thing I can do for however it turns out to be. Because there are so many astral planes, and on each plane you get somewhat of a different message because of the beauty of the paradoxes that exist across planes, it is a little foolhardy to put all your eggs in any one astral basket. 
beyond all of the patterns of energy, physical, astral, causal, lies God, that which is beyond form. You aim for that, and in the course of it, if you are pure in your aim, you can do nothing that is adharmic, going against the dharma. And if you stay in the flow, in the Tao, in the dharma, then whatever needs to be done for you and your fellow human being will be done, even though you may not understand what it is that's happening to you. Your intellectual awareness of what is going on is not necessary for this journey. It can speed it up and help it, but it's not necessary. You are knowing precisely where you are at on physical and astral planes is not necessary. In fact, confusion is very productive in growth. And as you get higher, you get more simple. And as you get simple, you less and less know who you are. When people ask who I am, I look at who it is they think I am, and that's who I apparently become. Right? So I would say that I spend very little time wondering about who I am in the whole great new design of things or how it's all going. That I am an instrument, that you are an instrument, that we are all part of processes is obvious. We are part of processes of the transformation of organic matter. But we don't sit around thinking of ourselves as that. We take oxygen and we turn it into uh, carbon dioxide. But we don't think of ourselves as that. Talk about the one. Okay. No, no, no more. No more. No more. No more now. No more now. Now it's God, sex, and dope. I'm sorry. We're done. Enough. We'll start in the reverse order. Dope. Most of us have mastered, one way or another, techniques for getting high. And through these techniques, we have seen possibilities. We are now beginning to approach the stage where we are dissatisfied with getting high. We wish to become. And we honor that becoming includes both highs and lows. And we are less eager to change our consciousness than to work with what consciousness we have at any moment. To eat our lows as well as grab our highs. Once you have seen the possibility, then to continually go back to see the possibility again and again is stalling. And you will do it until you're ready for the next round or to get on with it. I continually took acid every year until two years ago, three years ago, just to find out what it could teach me. Each year it opened me and I saw again how incredible it was and how much I had forgotten. This year, I have become involved in very advanced states of samadhi and work on my brain. And I have come to recognize through my teachers, both on this plane and other planes, that the 
large amounts of psychedelic materials that I ingested did not damage me in any permanent sense, but they did build up a very interesting kind of a toxicity in my medulla, in the back part of my brain. And when I started to get into certain kinds of pranayama exercises, I started to have incredible pains in the back of my head. And when I explored what these were, I was told that this is the residue of the stuff you have been working with. Now, Maharaji said to me and Mayor Baba said to me, LSD can teach some people things, but it is not the true samadhi. They both said that. Maharaji ingested much acid in 1970 a second time. And nothing happened to him at all because he was beyond acid. This game is beyond psychedelics. Psychedelics show you a possibility. I think uh, Carlos Castaneda in his fourth book of the power, the way of power, really up-level that game and show the relationship of these things. It started to move us in that direction also. I don't think it's a good and evil issue at all. I think it's merely a very practical matter of when you want to get on with it, you stop grabbing at highs and you just start to work with what you got to work with. Because as long as you push away your lows, you got to keep... And what psychedelics do even grass, is they override the habits you're holding on to. They don't loosen them, they just override them, and you keep coming right back into them. And finally, when you're greedy enough to get done, you ask for the hot fire, and you take those habits. Like sometimes, I, I'll give you an example. I get up at five in the morning, and in the, a year ago, I was still struggling against sleep, thinking I needed six hours of sleep a night. And I would go to bed at, say, uh, 12, knowing I had to get up at five, and I just got to sleep, and about 10 minutes later, the phone would ring, and it would be my teacher. I'd just be going to sleep, and I'd be furious, thinking, I have a right to sleep. I mean, I'm working hard on my sadhana, but after all, it's only reasonable. I'll be no good tomorrow. And she would start to talk to me, and she would talk to me about the most trivial stuff, and you can't hang up on your teacher. <laughs> and she'd make me sit up, and I'd get furious. And it would go on and on until finally I'd say, oh, well, I might as well give up the fury because she's got me. And I'd give up the anger and I'd give up the model I was ever going to go to sleep. And I'd say, okay, here I am. And then she'd say, have a good night. And she'd hang up. Right? <laughs> and she did it night after night until it got to the point that the minute she'd call up, I'd pick it up. I'd be furious because she just got me when I was most vulnerable, just as I'm going to sleep. And I'd be furious, and then I'd say, uh-oh, and let it go. And it's so painful to let go of that kind of anger and fatigue and frustration. That's the discipline you learn, to let it go, and to struggle right with it there, not grab a quick joint to override it, to get high. Because then it'll still be there, and you really want to get done. Yeah? So it's not a good and evil issue. I'm just describing what will happen. After a while, the desire for that kind of a rush starts to fall away. So if it does, don't think that you are burning your life out. It may just be that you're growing. Uh, regarding sex, this should thin out the audience considerably. <laughs> there is energy or shakti. That energy is expressed in many forms. 
through you. Your thoughts are energy. Your actions, your body movements are energy. Your arousal is energy. The energy can be manifest and expressed in a number of different levels. There comes a point where you get greedy for liberation and you start to redirect the energies that are available to you to use them all in the service of going to God. Not out of oughts or shoulds, but just out of I must do this. Now, at that point, you start to learn how to pull energies up in your body, up to the higher chakras, the fourth through the seventh chakra and up. You draw the energy in and up. Now, many people are very attached to their sexual uh, expression as something that is very close to God for them. And it is fair to ask what you're getting in return for what you give up or what you start to let go of a little bit. As that energy is redirected upwards, you start to connect more and more into these other channels of television. Each of these channels is characterized by more and more energy. The energy is, that is available to you in the second chakra for sexual purposes is like the tiniest tip of the finger of energy compared to the handful of energy that starts to be available in the fourth chakra and on up. You're starting to deal with more and more powerful forces. It's like the difference between 110 and 220 and a transformer and the sun is the, is the way the game is going. Now, you start to get into states of meditation, which I'm sure some of you have had, which are called ecstasy and bliss and rapture, and you get into ecstatic states where the nature of the orgasmic experience is as if every one of your cells was in total orgasm simultaneously. It's no longer genital, nor is it not genital, but it is just a total orgasm. After a while, for example, if I now were to have an orgasm, a genital orgasm, I would not feel it genitally. It would almost totally happen in my head, a tremendous internal explosion in which I would be propelled up into samadhi at the moment of orgasm. For my energy channels are now all drawn upwards and there's no way I can change this game any longer. Now, the issue of Tantra is often played with by people who desire sexual gratification. And they try to play by getting, the, getting it, having their cake and eating it too. In truth, when you desire sexuality, to have a sexual relationship with another person, the arousal process and the gratification is reinforcing that desire. The only kind of tantric sexuality that is true tantra that is possible between human beings 
are beings that are so rooted in God that there is no desire for the other person, then you may use the physiological process of body interaction in order to wake an energy to move it up. But that is where there is no desire whatsoever in either partner. That is a condition that hardly anybody that I've ever known could fulfill. Short of that, sexuality, just be honest with yourself, it is sexuality, it is not Tantra. The true Tantra is basically the relationship between Radha and Krishna. It is between the seeker, the gopi, the spiritual seeker, and the mother is the first level of the Tantra. It's what I was talking about, about it's like, it's the relationship to the physical universe where you open your soul in the same way that Hanuman rips open his chest. You open your soul and you become both the lingam and the yoni. You become both the phallus and the vagina. You are both penetrating into the universe and drawing it into yourself. Because the soul is neither male nor female. And when you have identified yourself as a soul going to God, the sexual dance starts to lose its pull. This is not bad or good. And now I must caution you in view of what I'm saying. Each of us is at a different stage in our incarnational cycle. Many of you have much work to do in interpersonal relations, in sexual gratification, and so on. You are at the stage where you want to want God, but you have other business to attend to first. To make believe you are done with something you are not done with will slow you down in the journey to God. To try to hold on to something you are done with will slow you down on the journey to God. There is no simple rule of the game of who becomes brahmachari and who doesn't. Some people do it and some don't. Married couples may be brahmachari or they may not. Brahmachari couples have sex in order to produce a child. That's it. Not once a month on the new moon and all that jazz. It is done to produce a child and that's the game. I am brahmachari. I am brahmachari not out of guilt or shame or anything else, but because anything else is totally absurd to me at this point, because of the nature of my relationship to God. Because I really couldn't take seriously coming back down into a genital interpersonal relationship in its finite sense. And I've tried, believe me. I didn't go into brahmachari willingly <laughs> because my models made it seem absurd. But I was just drawn up. And in the sadhana that I work with and teach, the first thing you do is you start to work with the heart and above and move people up in the energy. When they are rooted in God, then you must go back down and open all the chakras. Because to be in God fully means you are open on every level of your existence. It's all part of the dance.
And just like I said, ultimately you eat whatever you want, ultimately you do whatever you want. That isn't the game. This isn't a moral issue at all. So that if you can hear and be honest with yourself, you'll know when you are done and when you're not done and when one desire system is stronger than another. Just be straight with yourself. Don't make believe. Phoniness is the worst part of spiritual life, of people trying to be something. There are more horny celibates <laughs> that are not going anywhere except to psychiatrists. <laughs> you know? they, and there are a lot of people who are screwing, who wish they weren't anymore, but can't stop because they think they ought to be. And they've already entered into planes of consciousness where it's irrelevant. And it's not a good and evil issue. Okay? What is God? The best answer that I could give you. And it is only now that we have this first evening of talk out of the way that we can start to dance into the realms where we look in one another's eyes and know what is not knowable, but we are that thing. For ultimately, you transcend objective knowledge and you be wise. And wisdom is simple. There is a simplicity. And out of you comes the wisdom of your being. The wisdom of your being. A human birth is a very precious matter. You have all the ingredients necessary to know God fully in this lifetime that we all reached forth to meet here is itself incredible grace. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, 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 and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. 
Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, 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 and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. And again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say r
This podcast is brought to you by the Love Serve Remember Foundation and Ramdas.org. We appreciate you listening and we appreciate all the support that you've given us. Please continue that support and donate at Ramdas.org. We can then continue to share what Ramdas has been sharing for all of these years. Thank you.